you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Welcome to episode 66 of Reclaiming the Faith, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all, thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you for your prayers for me and my podcasting partners, BDK and Justin Fall, the Fourth Watch Radio Network. We appreciate it so much. Before I get into the show notes, I want to let you know that my new album, The Wanderer, is dropped today. You can find it on iTunes, CD Baby, Amazon, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that you can buy music, you can find it there. So just want to give you a snippet of track nine off that album, and this song is called Running. Again, the album is called The Wanderer, and you can find it on iTunes, CD Baby, Amazon, Spotify, anywhere that you like to listen to music, you can find it. So please go check that out. All right. Well, today I'm getting into part two of my interview with Dan Enright on the cyclical nature of prophecy. And here in part two, we conclude our discussion by focusing on what the scriptures say about the prophetic nature of the kingdom of God. And if you're blessed by this episode, I really want to encourage you to leave a positive rating and review on iTunes, on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And if you feel like you want to become a contributor to Reclaiming the Faith, a financial contributor, you can also uh, go to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Phil S. Baker. And there I do uh, two videos every month. One, which is a breakdown of an early Christian or an early Christian writing. And the second one is an acoustic version of one of my original songs. So for a donation of $5 or more, you get those benefits. Also in 2016, I published a book called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And if it's been a blessing to you, please, uh, please go to Amazon and leave a rating and review there as well. Uh, you will find a link in the show notes to my new, uh, my new album, uh, the wanderer. So go check on that, click on that link and check it out. 
pretty much everything about me you can find on my website, which is philsbaker.com, and you can email me there as well. Also want to give a shout out to my wife, who's just been doing such incredible interviews lately, and um, her podcast is called The Faithful Podcast. You can find it at faithfulpodcast.podbean.com or on iTunes, The Faithful Podcast. Her name's Stephanie Baker. Like I said earlier, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls Fourth Watch Radio Network along with BDK of Omega, of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have a question about anything that's said on my podcast, Reclaiming the Faith, or BDK's Omega Frequency, or anything on the Fourth Watch Radio Network at all, you can please uh, send an email to me at emailphilsbaker at gmail.com, or you can hit up BDK at omegafrequency.com. And lastly, the anti-Nicene writings that I quote from can generally be found on the scroll publishing uh, CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers. You can find it on Scroll Publishing's website at scrollpublishing.com. All right, well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get part two of my episode with Dan Enright on the cyclical nature of prophecy rolling. You know, um, similar to the phrase, the day of the Lord, there's also the phrase, the kingdom of God. And those are very, very similar. Um, and you bring up some really cool stuff uh, by starting with the Lord's prayer about the kingdom of God. Sure. Do you want to dive into that? So in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he starts off in verse 5 by telling them not to imitate the hypocrites the way that they pray. But down in chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 9, uh, pray then like this. And he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it goes on with the rest of the prayer. But Jesus is teaching them that in this prayer, they are to pray for the coming of the kingdom. But when we go to Luke 11, there's a scene where Jesus has cast out a demon and he's being accused of doing it by the power of Satan. But Jesus says in verse 18, if Satan um, is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? In other words, if I'm casting out demons by the power of Satan, that's a divided kingdom. How is that going to stand? Because, and Jesus says, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. And here it is in verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So in the prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus is saying, pray for the kingdom to come. But then Jesus in this event, after casting out a demon, says, basically the kingdom of God has come. It's here. So there's an instance <clears throat> where, excuse me, where we see something that um, is, is actually in the present, in the life and ministry of Jesus during his first advent, but it doesn't end there. When we turn to Revelation chapter 11, this is the event of the seventh trumpet sounding. Right. And starting in 
verse 15 of Revelation 11, John writes, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. So at this point, we see what I think can be described as the full expression of the kingdom of God, and also at the same time, an answer to the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So we see this sense of this cyclical form again showing up in these three separate passages. Yeah, and it's cool uh, in Acts 8, when Philip is preaching Christ to the Samaritans and he's preaching the word to them and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom of God that you see at that same time, demons being cast out. Right. Right, which is is like what uh, Jesus talked about in Luke 11. And yet that's not the fullness of it yet. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. So like, it's cool in, in Revelation 11 or in Luke 11, we see uh, Jesus talking about the kingdom of God is here because he's casting out demons. And yet in Revelation 11, uh, you see the, full, the, the fullness of Jesus's kingdom beginning there as he returns. In Daniel 11, we see a different kingdom uh, being established. It's the kingdom of the Antichrist. Um, and so we'll read a little bit of that, uh, starting in Daniel 11, uh, in verse 29, it says, he's going to return and come into the South, but this last time it will not turn out the way it did before for ships of Katim will come against him. And therefore he will be disheartened and he will return and become enraged at the Holy covenant and take action. So he will come back and show regard for those who forsake the Holy covenant forces from him will arise, desecrate the sanctuary fortress and do away with the regular sacrifice. And they will set up the abomination of desolation by smooth words. He will turn to godlessness, those who act wickedly toward the covenant, but the people who know their God will display strength and action. And then if we want to jump to uh, verse 36, it says, This king will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods. And he will prosper until the indignation is finished, finished, for that which is decreed will be done. So, yeah, I mean, we see that prophecy in one sense being fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus Epiphanes in uh, 167, right, BC, when he comes against Jerusalem and he basically sets up uh, a statue of Zeus with his head on it in the temple, proclaiming himself to be God there. And, uh, of course, you can read about this in in 1st and 2nd Maccabees uh, in a lot more detail to to show how that happened. And But there there seems to be... uh, it seems like Jesus actually draws from first and second Maccabees quite a bit when he's doing his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. 
there's so many similarities between those two things and about this abomination that causes desolation. And so we can read about that a little bit in Matthew 24. Are you already there, Dan? Yeah. Do you want to read that part in Matthew 24? Sure. Okay. This is, like you said, the, the Olivet Discourse. <clears throat> um, Jesus is answering the disciples' questions from... What's going to be the sign of the coming yes. or the end of the age? When will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming, end of the age? Yeah. And down in verse 15, Jesus says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And he goes on, goes on with um, the rest of that, that passage. Mm. But Jesus refers back to this, this passage in Daniel. And like you say, um, seems like some of the Maccabees as well. Yeah. yeah. And then Paul begins to hit on that as well in 2 Thessalonians 2. It appears uh, in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Now we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it's from us if, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as God. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? And it continues, but Paul seems to be drawing also from Daniel 11 and also from Jesus's words in Matthew 24, just saying, yeah, this thing is coming. This, this greater Antiochus or Antiochus is coming. Do you see that as, as well, or do you see that as being fulfilled maybe in something like 70 AD when Titus sacked Jerusalem? Um, <clears throat> I, I see it as something that extends past that yeah. event, um, uh, myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but going, going back to Daniel, um, the way that, that Daniel laid out this history so precisely is one of the reasons that the book of Daniel gets attacked mm. as, um, having been written during those events mm. because he was so precise in, um, in describing really what happened on the geopolitical scene yeah. um, with especially that section in Daniel 11 with Antiochus IV. Um, but we have the book of Daniel in the um, Septuagint. Right. That was... 200. Yeah. So um, for someone who is, is swayed more towards an anti-supernatural bias, mm -hmm. um, this has to be, the book of Daniel has to be late dated, mm. but there's plenty of evidence that, that shows that this was written well in advance of the, um, the division of the Greek empire, you know, right. into the four, with the four yeah. um, generals. But, um, but yeah, Jesus comes along in the Sermon on the Mount talking about the end times and his second coming and says there's going to be another basically abomination of desolation, another Antiochus yeah. in, in a more severe form. Yeah. 
that the people um, are to watch for yeah. and that will be on the scene. And uh, Paul, of course, echoes that in um, in Second Thessalonians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Irenaeus hits on this a little bit. Um, he says, No one is termed God by the apostles when speaking for themselves except him who is truly God, the Father of our Lord, by whose directions the temple which is at Jerusalem was constructed for those purposes, which I have already mentioned, in which the temple, the enemy shall sit, endeavoring to show himself as Christ, as the Lord also declares. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation, which has been spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then those who were in Judea flee to the mountains. He was on the housetop. Uh, let him not come down to take anything out of his house. For there shall be then great hardship, such as not been found from the beginning of the world until now, nor shall ever be. And once this Antichrist has devastated everything in this world, he will reign for three years and six months and sit in the temple at Jerusalem, and then the Lord will come from heaven in the clouds. So it's really neat, you know, Irenaeus is in 180, basically, when he's writing this. The temple has already been destroyed, you know, that that second temple got destroyed in 70, and yet he's saying this temple is going to be where the Antichrist sits. So clearly, he doesn't think that um, Jesus' words in Matthew 24 have already been fulfilled. Mm, Right. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Well, um, as we're beginning to wrap this up, um, I, I was thinking about Habakkuk and what Habakkuk says in um, in chapter one, verse five, where where he's he's confused. Habakkuk is confused, and he's asking God, "What the heck is going on? You know, why is this horrible stuff being allowed to happen?" And God says to him. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, and wonder, because I am doing something in your days that you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. This look, I'm going to do something that uh, you wouldn't believe even if, even if you were told. And I, I'm sure... Uh, that was very true for the people in Habakkuk state. Like you can't use the Babylonians. They can't be your hand and that you, you know, use to, to bring discipline to us. That doesn't make any sense. You're supposed to use us and our Kings. And he's like, no, I'm going to use them, Mm -hmm. but he's not going to let them get away with it either. He's going to bring judgment on them as well. Um, So this it's God using um, something that they wouldn't expect as a form of judgment. And Paul and warning them as well. And Paul hits on this in Acts 13. And uh, I'm going to read it. It's kind of a lengthy section, but I think it's really really cool how he preaches the gospel to the people where he's at um, in uh, Poseidon, Antioch. And he closes with that Habakkuk passage. So this is going to be a little bit lengthy, but it says, going on from Perga, Uh, they arrived at Poseidon Antioch. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent to them saying, brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, he said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, the God of this people 
Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. When he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king. And God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for forty years. And after he removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. From the descendants of this man, according to the promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And while John was completing his course, he kept saying, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family and those among you who fear God, to us the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no ground for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that, to our, and to our children in that he raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And for the fact that he raised him up from the dead, no longer to return to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised from the dead did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that though that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel, and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days a work which you will ne never believe, though someone should describe it to you. So it's pretty cool that he says, like, you guys have been reading about this every week in your synagogues. You've been seeing this. God has been declaring it to you, and yet you missed it. So don't let that judgment come upon you, which came upon the people of Habakkuk's day. And he's kind of, and he's showing like a cyclical nature of that, that promise from God uh, in Habakkuk's day, that I, it can actually come true for, for them if they don't believe, if they don't repent. So, Dan, do you think that that warning that uh, God gave 
the people in Habakkuk's day and that Paul was giving the people in his day. Do you think that warning still applies to us today? I do, because so often in the historical narrative of the New Testament, and even go back, going back into the Old Testament, the history of Israel is recited mm. from Abraham, oftentimes, um, sometimes from Moses. But at this point now, when, when Paul is preaching the plan of God, the kingdom of God has advanced to where the Messiah has come. And so they were at a point, we're at a point now where there is still a lot yet to come. One of those things is judgment. And in Paul's sermons, so often he doesn't stop with just the cross, burial, and resurrection. Um, I'm thinking of, of a certain sermon where he basically says, and I think it's in Athens, you might have to correct me, Phil, but because of these things, God will now judge the world through him. Mm. So this is a definitely a warning for anyone who refuses um, what God has offered in his son. Mm. Uh, and again, it seems like as you're reading uh, the, the text of the New Testament, these writers thought that it was just on the on the horizon, the day of the Lord is, we're in the last days is what they would, would say, in these last days, in these last days. And these last days that the writers of the New Testament referred to have lasted 2,000 years. Yeah. So if they considered it last days and that judgment was imminent, how much more so for us today? And we see, you brought up the, uh, when we all talked about Daniel, the, the fact that um, the um, Satan has a kingdom too. So there are two kingdoms that are warring um, until the, the end. And so Paul, and so often the admonition um, is get on the right side. Mm. Whose kingdom do you want to be a part of? Right. And so we all need to decide that. And that's the thrust, I think, of Paul's use of Habakkuk in, in this sermon. Yeah, and we can't not make that choice. By not choosing, we're choosing right. the wrong kingdom. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Jesus did not allow uh, fence sitters. Right. You know, we, we can think that we're, um, we're still yet to choose. But if you haven't chosen for Christ, you've chosen against him. Mm. So that's a pretty heavy, heavy thought. Yeah, it is. You know. Well, Dan, thank you so much for taking time today out of your super busy schedule. Thank you, Phil. To do this interview, man. It's it's such a blessing for me as I'm trying to work out my own views on prophecy. You know, like I, I think I think I've got it down, and then I have a conversation with you, you know, a five, ten minute conversation. I'm like, well. Shoot. <laughs> I find myself in the same boat, man. Yeah. So we'll probably be back, what, another month or so. Yeah. Like, wait a second. Okay. All right. What about this now? Right. Um, well, uh, do you have like a closing word or closing exhortation for folks? Yeah. I, um, a couple things. Thinking about the, the nature of prophecy, um, 
When we visit Israel, we always make it a point to go to the um, Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem uh, called Yad Vashem. And I remember the first time we went, um, we, the, the entrance, um, there's, there's a large entrance way with, you know, a series of, I don't know if they're arches, but just passageways that um, take you into the, um, the, the area. Mm. Um, and so getting, getting through this memorial is, is difficult. Yeah. Um, Say the least. Yeah, very difficult. Um, but I'll never forget the first time we visited on our way out on on the um, on that entrance way that you walk under and through. What you don't see on your way in, you see on your way out, mm. and written on the top of this this massive entrance way. Um, is Ezekiel thirty-seven fourteen, which reads, "And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it," declares the Lord. And so, as you're walking out of this Holocaust memorial, it it, it hit me in a couple different ways. First of all, the thought behind that is. God has fulfilled this and is fulfilling this. Um, the six million Jews who were murdered in the Holocaust, there's almost this sense that, that God, using this verse from the vision of Valley of Dry Bones, that they will live again. God is faithful. And then walking back out underneath that, that entryway, um, it's almost like you think of, of Israel as a nation again, or a state, right? Um, so whoever had that placed on that entryway is is of the mind of this notion of the circular nature of prophecy. Um, because this, when we read this, this is still something that's yet to happen. <clears throat> and what's interesting in the Hebrew, um, there's no sense of time, so to speak, um, there's not this sense of past, present, future. Yeah. Um, it's more of completed action. There, there are two types of conjugation in the Hebrew. There's the perfect, which, which refers to a completed action, whether past, present, or future. And then an imperfect conjugation, um, which... Um, describes like an incomplete action, yeah. whether past, present, or future. So it's not so much the time of action in Hebrew, it's the type of action, something that's either completed or incomplete. So, so that actually adds a layer to this idea of the cyclical nature of prophecy. And for the inscription on that entry with Yad Vashem, Ezekiel 37, 14, um, they could put that in there in the spirit of the prophet's understanding that history is always being fulfilled when it comes to God. And so when I also think about how that relates to us, 
as those who have been saved by the blood of Christ. I look at passages in the New Testament, like in Revelation, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. Um, the idea in Ephesians 1.4, chosen before the foundation of the world. And then Paul in Romans 8, when he's talking about um, those who have been called, he writes... Those whom God foreknew yes. would be predestined to the image of his Son. Yes, in Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, what Paul is saying with a very Jewish mind is that this is a completed action. Our glorification is accomplished, in other words. Uh, beyond this life, um, our glorification with the risen Savior is a done deal. And that should just fill us with hope and confidence that we are um, we're destined um, to be um, all that God says He will eventually do with us. Yeah, and that gives us so much hope. If we're in the midst of the tribulation or not, you know, if if we are, that gives us hope to stand strong and to remain faithful to Christ no matter what comes here. Because even if our earthly tent is torn down, you know, if our earthly body is torn down, we have a building from God Amen. that, you know, cannot be touched by the devil. Amen. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much again for taking time, brother. Hey, thank you, Phil. Always enjoy it, man. Right, until next time. <laughs> Revival, your presence, oh God. We pray for your fire on us, let it fall in awe of your glory, broken by sin. Come and breathe new life in your people again. Like we were children Oh, let us seek first your kingdom Oh, give us joy to sing your praises with all that we are Oh, give us soul that's overflowing Oh, let us love with pure devotion Lord, hear our cry, be glorified and revive our hearts So God, cleanse us with fire, lift up the cross, in awe of your glory, broken by sin, come and breathe new life in your people again.
Oh 